Log Talk Radio. Hey, if you're looking for an informative educational radio instead of the same banter, egos, and questions for hours and hours, then Sportsbeat, your alternative, is next as part of Mountain Meadow Productions. Stay tuned. studio of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sport. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener, and with that said, we're not just your average call-in, same subject, same question over and over sports radio. We like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sports Beat, and we're coming at you live. And I'm your host, John Spooler. So everybody, welcome to this Thursday program, the 18th day of January 2024. As we close in on February, only about a week and a half away, two weeks from today will be February 1st already, Groundhog Day. Well, thanks so much for joining us on this segment of Sports Beat Radio Talk and Sports. And today we're going to be talking about something that is somewhat controversial in the sense of sports jargon and sports talk, and that is what makes a great coach? And I think the term is, you know, used very loosely because we tend to call coaches great for really minimal uh, accomplishment. You know, you you take the the example of Nick Sariani, who is the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, and, of course, the Eagles, who were at one point 10-1 this season, went down in flames. Uh, They lost five of six games after the 11th week. Uh, They looked lethargic on offense, uh, Hurts, the quarterback, looked doe-eyed at some point, you know, not knowing really what to do. The defense uh, against the Tampa Bay Bucks, who them, they should have beaten, you know, whether they were in Tampa or in Philadelphia, uh, looked porous. And yet they consider Nick Sariani, you know, a, a, a fine coach because he got them to the Super Bowl last year. The question is, is he? Uh, He lost both of his coordinators, and and today in the NFL, coordinators are a major part of winning. It isn't so much the head coach. In in many ways, the head coach is a figurehead. Uh, One of the greatest coaches of all time, according to sports writers, is Nick Saban. I know you're probably a little shocked by that. You might think Lombardi or Hallis or any of those other great Curly Lambeau. But no, it's Nick Saban, and yet Saban has had some very, very large, talented coordinators around him. Not to mention that I've always felt that great coaches are great because the players make them great. You know, Nick Saban wasn't that great when he coached the Miami Dolphins, although he didn't have a quarterback to his credit. So, you know, when you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you really can't win today and probably never could. They always said, you know, you can't win today without a great quarterback. I don't remember a time in football where you could win without one anyway. 
you know, mediocre quarterbacks usually give you mediocre results. So is Nick Saban the greatest coach of all time? Well, he certainly won a lot of championships. I think he won seven. Belichick, you know, one of the revered coaches, at uh, I believe 302 wins, but most of that was because he had great players. I mean, you look at the New England Patriots during his tenure. Not only did you have Brady, and there are some people that felt that Belichick made Brady into a great quarterback, and that may be true because a lot of the quarterbacks that played under Belichick with the Patriots were pretty good. I mean, if you remember, Matt Castle came in when Brady went down against the Chiefs in 2008, I believe it was, the opening uh, game of the season in New England. And Castle came in, and they just missed the playoffs. At one point, Castle had uh, more passing yards than Brady did. And Matt Castle certainly was no great quarterback. He got a ton of money to go to Kansas City and did nothing. Then he went to Minnesota. I mean, he was all over the place. Brissett was there, if you remember. He did a fairly decent job. So maybe, you know, Belichick, even though he's a defensive-minded person, he had great players. Will Fork, remember him? Will Fork, the guy who was as wide as a, uh, you know, a car. Nobody could run up the middle. He had Randy Moss. You know, he had Gronkowski, he had Brady, he had Venateri, who won a Super Bowl for him with the the game-winning kick. Gronkowski, Edelman, I mean, you know, uh, Nate Solder, the left tackle that uh, was all pro until he took a ton of money from the Giants and did nothing. But, uh, you know, he protected Brady's blind side. So it was a great team. And I think some of the, you know, the interesting things when you look at great coaches or supposedly great coaches is we always talk about their win and loss records. You know, Nick Saban won seven championships. Guy Chamberlain, who was a coach back in the 20s when the NFL first started, had a 783% coaching success record. He coached from 22 to 27. Schottenheimer, Marty Schottenheimer, remember him, of course. Uh, 200 200 wins. Paul Brown, 213 wins. Curly Lambeau, 226 wins. Tom Landry, 250 wins. Andy Reid, 258 wins. Belichick, 302. George Hallis, who coached forever, almost 50 years, 318 wins. But, you know, it's interesting because Belichick without Brady is 29 and 38 without those great players. And we saw what he did this year. Was he a great coach? Oh, maybe, but I think the players made him. I think the players made Nick Saban. After all, if you're a college player, where are you going to want to go to school to play football? Alabama. You're going to want to be in the SEC. That's the dominant league or conference, I should say, uh, you, you're going to want to be there. So actually, if you're a good recruiter, then I guess you're a pretty good coach. But I think the greatness of coaches is greatly overrated. Uh, some of the great coaches, in my view, were, were coaches that started with nothing. And one of them, of course, you always have to talk, talk about Vince Lombardi. 
taking a Packer team in the late 50s, 58, somewhere in there. They won one game. They were lallygagging. They weren't practicing. They were uh, goofing off. And he came in, cleared house, got a guy who was kind of uh, around the league, uh, you know, mediocre, Bart Starr, turned him into a Hall of Fame quarterback, Fred Thurston and Jerry Kramer, two great Hall of Fame uh, pulling guards. Guards didn't really do that much in those days, and Lombardi had them pulling for another great LSU player, Jim Taylor, running those power sweeps. Carol Dale and Boyd Dowler, I wouldn't say they were household names, but they got the job done. We saw Max McGee, the 30-plus-year-old guy, come off the bench in Super Bowl I and, and had over 100 yards in receiving. One of the passes he caught one-handed. And Lombardi built that team. To me, Lombardi was the essence of a great coach. Not Phil Jackson. And we're not just talking about the NFL, who basically had superstars at every game, uh, team that he coached. Was he a great coach? I think the players made him look good. With his Zen and his, uh, you know, all of his meditation stuff that he had going for him, I mean, it was a disaster with the Knicks. Uh, he didn't do anything as a as a player personnel, which showed that the players made him. And there's some coaches like Pat Riley, who played in the NBA, uh, works hard. He's still with Miami. He works hard. He goes to practices. You know, he, he knows the game. Uh, innovative. But some of the great coaches came, I think, from the AFL, a, 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 a chance where most of those coaches would never have had a chance. Uh, John Madden had said that many times. I never would have had the chance to coach in the NFL if it wasn't for the AFL. And he talked about Al Davis giving him the chance with the Chargers as a line coach way back in 1960. And look what Madden became. I'm not talking about his celebrity status. I'm talking about his coaching record. He still has the highest percentage coaching record of, of the Raiders. And won the Super Bowl in 76. I believe it was against Washington. Sid Gilman, the father, as they say, of the modern offense. You know, the Chargers were fun to watch. Uh, they were pass-happy. Gilman would, uh, you know, put all these pass offensive schemes in, and it was fun to watch Hadel to Allworth, Hadel to Garrison, Hadel to McKinnon, the tight end, Paul Lowell running the ball, Dickie Post running the ball. They didn't run that much. They, most of the time they passed all the time. But they were exciting to watch. They'd score 40 and give up 45, but they were still fun to watch. Gilman was not a an expert on the defensive side of the ball, but he was extremely creative. Hank Stram, one of the most creative coaches in football, the moving pocket, you know, use, utilizing very big linemen on the offensive line. He was the first to do that, and what they would do is they would be so big that the, the running backs were smaller. Mike Garrett was only about 5'10". He had little Nolan Smith who would uh, do the kickoffs, they put him back there, number one, and, and the uh, the defensive line couldn't see him. And it's like Gail Sayers said, you know, give me one inch of daylight and I'm gone, or 18 inches of daylight, whatever whatever the 
scenario was. And that's kind of what it is. You know, in sports, one or two seconds could mean the difference between a play making uh, a lot of yardage or being stopped. And, you know, you had a, a list of, of coaches, Parcells, George Allen, 12 seasons as head coach of the Rams and the Redskins, never had a losing season. Madden, of course. Chuck Knoll, look at Chuck Knoll. There's another one kind of like Lombardi. Uh, you know, the Philadelphia, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers were basically the laughing stock of the NFL back in the 60s. They had guys like Don Shy. They had those Batman uniforms, if you remember, the, the gold tops. That's what they used to call them, the Batman uh, jerseys, both home and away. And Chuck Knoll, back in 69, 68, when he comes into uh, Pittsburgh to be the new head coach, he drafts this unknown guy named Terry Bradshaw out of Louisiana Tech, which they said was uh, one of the dumb players in the league. They said he was dead from the neck up. And then he had, you know, some, uh, you know, Frenchie Fuqua, and he had uh, Harris and all these great players, uh, Stallworth, and, of course, we know about the Steel Curtain defense, probably one of the great defenses of all time. And Chuck Knoll was a great coach. Don't really hear about him in the uh, vernacular of great coaches. He put that team together. They won four Super Bowls. Hallis. Another one was Bill Walsh, I think, who was a great coach. Uh, he was innovative. To me, a coach is innovative. And, you know, I don't know that it goes about X's and O's because I think all coaches at that level know plays. Some of them probably institute plays a little differently than some. Kyle Shanahan supposedly is like that out in San Francisco. But Walsh, if you remember, when they had Montana and all those Super Bowls, he coached the 49ers to three Super Bowls in 10 years, 79 to 88. He had a record of 92-59-1 uh, and a playoff record of 10-4. and four. He took some of his own ideas. He merged them with those of Paul Brown, the legendary Cleveland uh, Brown coach, as well as later on the Cincinnati Bengals. And he got the right players to run it and created the West Coast offense. That was actually Paul Brown, uh, Bill Walsh's idea. He was named NFL Coach of the Decade for the 1980s. Joe Gibbs, during his uh, 12-year run with the Redskins, 81 to 92, he was 124 and 60, 16 and 5 in the postseason. Only once did the Redskins have a losing season, going 70, uh, 7 to 9. That was in 1988. Landry, of course, 28-year run in Dallas, 20 straight winning seasons. 250, 162, and 6 was his record, 20 and 16 in the postseason. And then, of course, you had Don Shula. And that's uh, the landmark. Everybody wants to chase John Sh Don Shula. He was uh, consistent 33 years as a head coach with the Colts. Many of you don't remember, he was a, a Colts coach in the 60s. And then for 26 seasons with the Dolphins. Only two times did Shula coach a team that finished below 500. He could win big games. Six of Shula's teams made it to the Super Bowl, and two came away victorious. No other coach in the NFL history has won more games, including the playoffs. Shula went 347-173-6, a 665 winning percentage. Then we had Paul Brown, 
Uh, Paul Brown won a lot of his championships with the old American Football League. That was before the AFL of 1960. But still an innovative coach. He had only one losing season. He compiled 167-53-8 record. And then in eight seasons as head coach of the Bengals, he led the team to three playoff berths. His final NFL coaching record began in 50. It was 166-106. He was... uh, more than a winner, he was gutsy, signing two black players in his day. Marion Motley, who was uh, kind of the Jim Brown of his day, could run over you. Bill Willis, he played for the Browns in 46. He also taught Bill Walsh, the coach we just talked about with 49ers, the key ingredients of the West Coast offense, which he'd employed successfully with Otto Graham at quarterback in the 40s and 50s. Then, of course, he had Lombardi. We talked about Lombardi building uh, that great franchise. Now, Lombardi didn't coach as long as some of the others. He had a record of 105-35-6. And And then some of the other coaches, uh, Earl Lambeau, known as Curly Lambeau, Bud Grant, of course, remember him from Super Bowl IV and numerous Super Bowls that he lost. Marv Levy, another uh, kind of Bud Grant coach where, you know, he lost a lot of Super Bowls including the Scott Norwood miss against the Giants uh, with the Buffalo Bills, Steve Owen. And some of those coaches that we we mentioned, uh, we mentioned Parcells and Allen and Madden and Noel and all those, they knew how to put players together. And so the players made them into the champions that they became as far as coaching. But they weren't like a Phil Jackson who already had the table set. And so I think players make the coach. But there are coaches who make players. And what I mean by that is Hank Strand, particularly the ones that were had something to do with general managership. Uh, Lombardi was the general manager of the Packers as well as the coach. So you had a lot more leeway in the players that you wanted. And as Lombardi won championships, I have to remember, uh, he only had the team about two years before the 1960 season when they went to the NFL championship and played uh, at old Franklin Field in Philadelphia. Every time I'm there, uh, that's the home field now of the Penn Quakers, but every time I'm there, I usually go once or twice a year. I sit in the bleachers and reminisce about where Vince Lombardi and the Packers were standing all those years ago as they lose to a Philadelphia Eagles team, Chuck Bednarik and uh, those uh, guys who went on to win the championship. And the, and the Packers were in that game until the final waning minutes. They just ran out of time. And Lombardi, of course, gives that famous speech in the locker room at uh, Franklin Field. Uh, he goes into the locker room after an interview on the radio and the Packer players have their heads down, and some of them are in tears. It was a tough game to lose, particularly that most of those guys had been losers before they became champions. And Lombardi got on the podium and cleared his throat. And whenever he did that, everybody got up and listened and came to attention, and he said, gentlemen, what happened out there is past history because it's never going to happen again, meaning we are never going to lose another playoff game. 
And his words came to fruition because the Packers would go on to win five championships and two Super Bowls and own the 60s. Interestingly enough with Lombardi, I think it was interesting because Lombardi knew not only the game but knew the pulse of the team. And the Packers were starting to get a little bit long in the tooth in the late 60s. They won the first Super Bowl handily against the Chiefs. They won the second Super Bowl handily against the Oakland Raiders. They beat them almost as uh, bad as they beat the Chiefs, and I think the Raiders may have been a little bit better team than the first Super Bowl Chiefs with LaMonica and some of the high-powered offense that they had and even good defensive players. But Lombardi kind of knew that the team was probably had reached its apex, and so he leaves – Mostly unexpectedly. I mean, they didn't have the reporting then as they do now with Adam Schechter and all these guys that, you know, kind of have insiders. Uh, There were some rumblings about him possibly leaving. And then, of course, he decides to leave. He goes to Washington. Phil Bankston becomes the new head coach, and the Packers start to uh, trend downward. And, of course, we, we don't see them again until really the 90s when Brett Favre gets there and Mike Holmgren. Uh, with the Super Bowls and uh, against the uh, Patriots that they had won. And then they lost uh, the next one to the uh, Denver Broncos as the Broncos would go ahead and win two Super Bowls in a row against the uh, Packers as well as the Atlanta Falcons. And Lombardi goes on to Washington, and somehow, even though he was there only there a year or so before he dies of colon cancer in 1970, he transforms that team who had been a team of losers, really, and mentions about Sonny Jorgensen, who he always loved. And he made a statement about Sonny Jorgensen, and I don't know if Bart Starr heard it, probably did, but Bart Starr was such a class guy that I don't know if it bothered him. But Lombardi would say, if I had Sonny Jorgensen in Green Bay, I would have never lost. don't know if he should have said that, but he did. It's on record. And uh, Sonny Jorgensen, in my view, was a pretty damn good quarterback, uh, probably uh, not appreciated as much. Great passer, good uh, you know, sense, good play caller. In those days, the quarterback called the plays for the most part. So, you know, when you look at coaches, to me, great coaches know how to put rosters together. College coaches really don't put rosters together it's more of they go out and try to find great high school players and it's really your position on the map of achievement that gets those players to come to your school and you look at the Calipari's you know the coach of Kentucky in basketball and you look at Saban and you look at some of these guys I mean look at Thabo Sweeney at Clemson they're a shell of what they were they gave him a hundred million dollars 10-year contract after they won the national championship. But he doesn't have the players now. So is he a great coach? Uh, not in my book. Is Shula a great coach? Yeah, Shula was a great coach. And Shula was another one that put the roster together. A lot of these coaches don't do that. Now, of course, you know, by putting the roster together, the players make you a great coach. He had Bob Greasy and he had Jim Kick and Sanka who could run through a freight train. Paul Warfield, who was a cast-off and traded to, from the Cleveland Browns. Nick Bonacani, a linebacker. Howard Twilley, a guy who probably ran a 12-minute 100-yard dash, but he was a great receiver. 
He was kind of like the Fred Bolitnikoff. Didn't have a lot of speed, but he had great hands. And still, they celebrate that 72 season that nobody else has. It was an undefeated season. Now, there was other uh, teams that came close. If you remember, the New England Patriots were undefeated going into the Super Bowl against the Giants. And then, of course, uh, Manning throws that pass to uh, Plaxico Burris in the end zone, and that secures the win. And uh, every year, the Dolphins get together, that 72 team, and they hoist uh, champagne and whatever it is and get together and celebrate that 72 undefeated season, which we may not see again. We may not see that. I mean, that's a, that was some accomplishment. It's the same accomplishment, in my view, as Will Chamberlain's 100 points on March 2nd, 1962 against the Knicks at the old Hershey uh, Arena. Man had 100 points in the game. They said he could have had more. And he even shot well from the foul line, which he was notoriously bad at. And yet, I don't know that that record's going to be broken. When you look at some of the great shooters that we've had over the last 20 years in the NBA, not to mention a three-pointer, which they didn't have then. So, you know, when you look at greatness, to me, Shula, uh, coaches like Chuck Knoll, you know, Madden, uh, probably Curly Lambeau, because he put together the team. Lombardi, of course, where the uh, trophy, uh, the Super Bowl trophy, is named after. To me, players have always made the coach. But there are those like Bill Walsh and Noel and Lombardi, Shula, Stram, Madden. You know, those guys, and I, there's others, I just they just didn't come to the forefront of my mind yet, but... Uh, they not only were great coaches, they knew how to inspire people. They knew how to motivate. Uh, you remember uh, Shula, who was a no-nonsense guy. Chuck Muncie, who was a running back with the Saints. He wore those glasses, you know, and he was a big, he was a big running back. He was over six feet, which in those days was big for a running back. Most running backs were, were not six feet, but he was. And he was a pretty good player, and then he went to the chart. He had drug problems. He had cocaine problems and marijuana problems and uh, kind of was pumped out of the league. And then um, he got a last chance, a third chance, with Shula's Miami Dolphins. And he goes to Miami, and Shula lays down the law to him, just like Vince Lombardi laid down the law when he became a Packer. Lombardi said, your, your position is to God to family, and to football, in that order. And Shula told Muncie, you got to clean up your act if you're going to run the football for the Miami Dolphins. He got caught once again with drugs, and Shula cut him, and that was the end of Chuck Muncie. These were the guys, of course, coaching was different in those days because coaches had a lot more leverage. Most of them today are puppets of ownership or even general managership. Uh, but to me, great coaching is not just about the X's and O's. It's not just about the winning. Great coaches do win. We've seen that with the ones that I've mentioned. Uh, but they're innovators, like Hank Stram, who I thought was very underrated, whether you're a Chief fan or not. It always bothered me when people don't like a certain team and they put down the coach. I mean, Andy Reid is a, is a, is a major winning coach in the National Football League. He has 258 wins and the chance now again to go to the Super Bowl. Is he a great coach? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that's up to, you know, he had some pretty good players in Philadelphia. He has a 
some pretty damn good players in Kansas City. I've never seen a coach have a bad roster and win a championship or even win. Nick Sariani, a great coach. Well, when he lost his coordinators, uh, the Eagles look like they can't get out of their own way. And he doesn't seem to have the answers. Will he be fired? Uh, you know, Jeffrey Lurie, who owns the Eagles, very impatient. Mike McCarthy's a pretty good coach. At least uh, he was in Green Bay, and, you know, he had uh, Aaron Rodgers and that great team up there. And Dallas, he's, the last three seasons, he's been 12-5. and five. But his team looked like a high school team. They were just run over by a Packer team that they should have been able to beat, particularly at home, that they had won so many games. So, to me, that's the essence of great coaching. And of course, everybody has their own opinion. We do these shows really to not in, not so much, uh, you know, uh, lay down the law, but to uh, kind of kick around the idea with those of you who are listening. You all have your own ideas of what a coach is and what it is. So. That's our take on it. Uh, What is a great coach? Thanks so much for joining us. Our time has ended here on this segment of Sports Beat Radio Talk and Sports, where we're talking about what makes a great coach. Of course, the playoffs this weekend, the Chiefs and the Bills, much anticipated. The Chiefs are two-and-a-half-point favorites as Patrick Mahomes goes to uh, Highmark Stadium in Buffalo to play in a playoff game on the road the first time in his career. We'll see what happens. Buffalo may have something to say about that. Sports Beat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sports Beat Radio. And until next time, all of you have a great day and great sports. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.